Hi, everybody, and welcome back to East Screen, West Screen. This is show number seven for Wednesday, September 23rd. I'm Paul Fox. And across the harbor, I'm Kevin Ma. And we're here to talk about all the latest and greatest in film happenings here in Hong Kong, in Asia, and around the globe. Um, so, Kevin, anything special happening that you would like to start off with before we get to news? Um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited this week because uh, the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival, um, they're selling tickets on Fridays, and uh, they just recently published their full list of film. Um, no schedule yet. But uh, some of my picks uh, are the, uh, the new um, Pang Brothers solo film, 721. That's a closing film. Um, there's also Dark Harbor, the Japanese film that was the Pia Scholarship film last year. Uh, Pia is a independent film festival, probably one of the biggest ones in Japan. Um, there's a documentary called A Moment in Time about uh, Chinatown theaters in San Francisco uh, that don't exist anymore. Um, there's uh, a Korean documentary, Old Partner, which is a big hit this year. There's also Koreeda's latest, Air Doll. Um, and this year they're doing a retrospective on Shion Sono, um, the Japanese director who's a uh, four-hour film, Love Exposure, um, kind of blew everyone away, blew everyone away every festival that it's been to, and they're doing a retrospective on him, so they're showing his latest film. Um, how about you, Paul? Have you seen the list of films, or are you interested? No, hoping I, that anything will be on I, there? I, I haven't, but you know that, that one film you were talking about, A Moment in Time, about the the Chinatown theaters closing is something that I'd be very interested in seeing. Unfortunately, with the semester in full swing and um, U.S. TV season has just started, and I'm trying to keep abreast of all the shows uh, that are starting with new seasons, and I just don't know where I'm going to find the time. Uh, but somewhere I will manage to see a couple films in there, and uh, the ones that I do we'll definitely talk about here on the show. And I think that you're probably going to have some favorites, too, that you'll bring back and, and share with us as well. Yeah, hopefully uh, I'll pick at least a few of the 25 I've had so far on my list. And, uh, yeah, and talk about it here. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but we did, we did get a comment on the last show. A guy was, he kind of asked a question, um, like, where are you from? Is it a secret or something? And I just basically posted a link over to our profiles. But... You you had mentioned before way back that you know you had grown up in the states for a while. Uh, yes. Do you still do you are is is there anything in the stateside that you still follow? I mean, are there any TV shows or anything that you try and keep up with, or have you pretty much just focused on Hong Kong since coming back? Um, actually, I don't even watch all that much um, Hong Kong TV, but um, I follow. Because I've seen, I saw Flight of the Concords here on HBO, HBO Asia. Mm. So I started following that. And, but, you know, the big broadcast sitcoms, I couldn't watch the Daily Show every day online, which is, you know, really available. I don't have time to watch that every day. So I'm just really bad with TV in general. Yeah, it's, it's, because, yeah. it's definitely a, you know, a decision you have to make. Are you going to focus more on TV or film or video games? There's just far too much uh media wise these days i was in the i was in hong kong records um yesterday and you know a mutual friend of ours was raving about batman arkham asylum saying oh i should get it i should get it i should get it <laughs> and they finally uh, they finally had it in it, it had been sold out for quite a while and, and there it was on the shelf staring at me and right next to it was the new halo game halo uh, odst which people have been 
anticipating. And I was just staring at both of them and thinking to myself, where am I going to find the time? Um, well, when, yeah, when you have time, you got to sit me down and tell me about these games because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, you know, there's just no, I have no time. Uh, and it would be the case, and it's been the case in the past where times, sometimes I've, I've bought movies. I've got stacks of movies that are still unopened and DVDs that I haven't watched. And uh, there have been times when I've gone out and bought, you know, a new, a new game. And then it would be like a month later that I, that I finally get around to opening it up and trying it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's time management is very difficult uh, when you have so many interests. All right, well, let's move on to talk about some of the more recent news happenings. Uh, well, first, we'll start as usual from the harbor. And the first thing I'd like to talk about is an interesting little article that came out in the South China Morning Post about uh, mainland films. Uh, this article was posted on September 17th uh, by uh, news writer Clarence Tsui, and he was pointing out the, the fact that mainland films have not been doing very well uh, in terms of box office returns in Hong Kong recently. And I wanted to get you know some of, some of your take on that, Kevin, um, in, and what you thought, because he's, he's pointing this out in, in lieu of the fact that we've got the, the really big, big release um, that's coming you know, next week with the National Day film, uh, Birth mm-hmm. of a Nation. And you know, it's, it's, it's the question in, in his, one of the key questions in his article is, you know, how is this going to do? Is this going to be something that you know, local audiences embrace on National Day? Or is this going to be just another sort of thing that comes in and makes some meager earnings and, and quickly vanishes? I think it's a good question to ask because um, this is probably one of the few purely mainland movies to really have that many stars. But as the article mentioned, that even you know mainland-oriented movies like um, um, what's the word? Uh, World of Thieves, that had Andy Lau in it, and that still didn't do well here in Hong Kong. Yeah. So, you know, and I think Feng Shagan, he made a good point. Uh, that famous quote in Film Art is that to Hong Kong audiences, mainland films is like curse word to them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, and I don't blame it. I think there's a certain, um, I guess, concept preconception about mainland films that Hong Kong audiences sort of choose to avoid. Even if you're, even uh, for you're the one, that movie had really good word of mouth. That's why it stuck around for so long. But you know, at the end, only made about three to five million Hong Kong. Yeah. And and he he points out he points out something that I found was was interesting. You mentioned World Without Thieves, which did have sort of Andy Lau as one of the leading stars for that, but the it it just could not compete with Initial D, which was out around the same time. Um, it, it his article says that it it took in an only an eighth of what Initial D's revenue was. And you know, Initial D is is featuring not just Hong Kong stars, but it's you know based on a Japanese manga story, and you have Jay Chow in the lead coming from Taiwan. So, does do you think that the local audiences see themselves as um, as somehow better in terms of their film appetites that that they don't see mainland Chinese films as having um, a certain level of quality that they can find with mixed films coming out of Japan or coming out of uh, Taiwan? 
when we talk about Jay Chow being initial D, I think Jay Chow has sort of gone beyond his Taiwanese identity to be known as a mainly a uh, Taiwanese draw. But anyway, you, you know, yeah, I think um, it's more than just a, a matter of um, what they think Chinese films are. And I think I, I wouldn't be, you know, I don't think I'd be wrong if I say some Hong Kong audience think that Chinese films are so quote unquote old fashioned or, you know, not up to standards, like you said. Um, but also it's just a matter of different culture, I think. Um, there are just certain actors like Zhou Xun or um, some of the bigger mainland actors like Fan Bingbing that would, you know, draw audience in China because they're so well-known there, but here they're just people they happen to know. To them, there's nothing really to attract them in the theaters, I think. Yeah, and, uh, and I, th I think that that also raises uh, an, in an interesting issue, and we'll have to see how this plays out next week, but that is, uh, you know, the idea of of not just having actors, but also a, a film like Birth of a Nation, which has got very strong political ideals. And there's been a bit of controversy, if you don't follow Hong Kong news, but there was an incident between some uh, local Hong Kong reporters who were reporting on the incidents out in, in uh, Western, northwestern China. And apparently they were uh, roughed up and manhandled by some security forces in the mainland. And so there's been this big sort of back and forth between the local media uh, and the mainland officials about this incident. And so, as some of my students were pointing out, yet at the same time, you've got um, local media talking about the, the sort of the National Day Parade and, and saying how wonderful things are looking. And um, I'm just wondering if, if there's sort of a you know, a, a sense of walking on eggshells here because, uh, and, and with a film like this, do you think it'll be subject to more positive reviews because uh, maybe critics don't want to run the risk of making somebody in the North angry? Well, two things. Um, we already had a National Day Parade here in Hong Kong and apparently no one went because it was a Sunday morning and no one was told, um, or not a matter of patriotism. And second, um, apparently Founder Puyo have been telling me that the posters of founder of the Republic have actually been attracting people who would just stand in front of the poster, the MTR reading who's in it. Mm. So I think it's, you know, when you see the poster of the hundred stars on it, it certainly attracts quite a bit of attention. And I, you know, I'm kind of half, half as to how it would do. Um, half of me thinks that it'll have, it'll be huge at least opening weekend, but half of me thinks, yeah, it will be the general trend of, of Chinese films in Hong Kong. But, you know, we'll see. Our next little bit of news um, is about RTHK, uh, Radio Television Hong Kong. And Kevin, do you want to give us a little bit of insight into this story? Sure. Um, RTHK, Radio Television Hong Kong, is the publicly funded media entity. Um, they do both, as the, their title suggests, both television and the radio station. Um, they have been funded and operated by the government since the beginning, but for the last couple of years they've been kind of on in limbo because uh, I think a government review body um, sort of suggested that they shouldn't be run by the government anymore they should be replaced by something else finally they got their wish uh, this week when the government has confirmed that they will continue to operate as a government organization and uh, the best thing about this is that 
some people are worried that since the government is operating RTHK, is that they'll worry that um, whether RTHK will become a propaganda machine. Uh, thankfully, they will. The government has guaranteed that they will not, because RTHK is actually not only one of the most reliable um, news organizations in Hong Kong. They also known as um, one of the few sort of openly critical um, media sank, uh, media body in Hong Kong that is officially sanctioned. Mm, yeah. So yeah, so that's a really good thing. Um, I, I myself don't listen to RTHK much, but I do watch their new satire show sometimes, and um, and I enjoy them. And I'm really surprised that RTHK could, you know, be so critical of government yeah. and, and get away with it. This is this is also, you know, the if we direct this a little bit towards film, this is the organization that for a long time was making uh, documentary series and uh, sort of docudramas. Um, with you know, with very young directors like Anne Hoy and others uh, dealing with social issues, their, their very famous series uh, "Below the Lion Rock" um, right. is, is uh, several of the more famous uh, episodes that they did are available on DVDs. And I would be very happy if they, because now they have more stable funding, they've said that they're going to be able to uh, lift the hiring freeze that's been on and and actually do some more hiring of people that I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll start to do some more produ- productions like they did, used to do at one time. Well, they will, because uh, apparently now with the digital uh, TV um, going, which means they can add more stations. So now RTHK will soon have their own stations. Yeah, I think that'll be a good thing in the long run. Although some people are, you know, uh, they're, they're talking about the price tag and and because they're going to be spending a lot of money to sort of upgrade to some of the latest equipment and things, but I think ultimately that will be, you know, a good thing for people looking to work in the industry. So, All right, our last little bit of news has nothing really relevant to do with anything that we normally talk about on the show, but I thought I'd mention it anyway, and that is Sarah Palin has made her first international stop on what may be a world tour um, for either the reason that some people say is that she's going around trying to uh, give speeches to sort of uh, build up some of the revenue uh, that she spent during the campaign, um, or that some people say she's now trying to gain international experience because she's looking to make a 2012 uh, presidential run. I'm not going to weigh in as to which one of those is is true. Maybe it's a combination of both. But her for her first stop, she chose to stop in Hong Kong and give a speech with the CLSA Investors Forum. Get out of my city! <laughs> so I take it you're not a Palin fan. No. Uh, um, but uh, it's interesting because the, the event was closed to the press. Um, so, uh, you know, if you followed politics at all in the West, you know that Ms. Palin and the press don't have a very amicable relationship. Um, so, that, uh, you know, they asked her if they wanted the press in, and uh, apparently uh, she'd said something to the effect that if they're there what I'll be able to talk about with you will be quite different from what I'll be able to talk about with you if they're not there. Um, so, yeah, to take, take, <laughs> take that for whatever it, it's worth. But okay. uh, here she, you know, this was her first stop, so who knows where she'll end up next. And maybe, maybe I hope she goes to Russia, and then they can tell them that she can see Alaska from there. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 they'd probably be very happy to know that, so, yeah. if they don't already. What insight into Russian actions, particularly in the last couple of weeks, does the, does the proximity of the state give you? 
they're our next door neighbors. And you can actually see Russia from land here in Alaska. Well, explain to me why that enhances your foreign policy credentials. Well, it certainly does. As Putin rears his head and, and uh, comes into the airspace of the United States of America, where, where do they go? It, it's Alaska. All right, let's move on to some global news issues. Um, first up, I uh, want to make mention, uh, this is, you know, uh, somewhat global, uh, dealing with the internets, if you were. Uh, the Chinese Cinema Digest, which was founded and, and sort of monitored by academic Shelley Crasier, who, if you follow Chinese cinema at all, that name should be somewhat familiar. Um, his academic writing is very well known, as well as uh, some of his articles for various... Um, various sources, and he's run the Chinese Cinema Digest for a number of years, and then I believe he moved to China, to Beijing, and it, he stopped running it because not a lot of people were using it, and he started it up, I think, about two weeks ago, um, just to see if there was interest. So I will post some links uh, on the website if you're interested, if you're somebody who's new to Chinese cinema or interested in following events in Chinese cinema, this is a very good resource because you get people from all walks of life, critics and academics and aspiring filmmakers who will submit articles and, and post over information about film festivals and all kinds of things related to Chinese cinema. And it's a very valuable resource, and I'm very happy that, that it's there running again. So we'll post some information to that uh, on the, in the notes on the episode uh, over on the website. <laughs> Second bit of news from the Globe, and uh, I'll be interested to get your take on this, Kevin, is that Michael Jackson's film, which is being called This Is It, which is, a, I'm assuming, a compilation of the rehearsal footage that everybody was so excited about um, after his passing, has um, been compiled into a film of some sort, and it's set for release next month. It's going to have a worldwide premiere in multiple cities, places like uh, Los Angeles, London... I think in Seoul, someplace in South America, um, they're going to all have a simultaneous sort of premiere of this uh, around October 27th, 28th. And then it's going to run for two weeks in general cinemas. Um, and this, there was, it was a $60 million deal that was made to do this film uh, with the estate and the family. So what are your thoughts on this, Kevin? I mean, is this something that you're going to rush out to see? I, I don't even know if it's going to be playing here but if it if it is is this something you'd be interested in seeing oh definitely play in hong kong i don't know if you walk down um the main street of hong kong uh lately but um every video store you walk by they're still playing those uh lip sync michael jackson concert footage and people are still stopping to watch them mm -hmm. so i think michael jackson still has a certain appeal and um this is, I bet you, AEG, the people who ran the concert that Michael Jackson was supposed to be before he died, probably had some financial stakes in this because, you know, their star, the person that has paid $60 million to do the concert, never did his concerts. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's just a dirty move. I mean, you know, these footage were not meant to be seen by people. And, you know, this is obviously a way for the concert promoters to try and get their money back. Um, and I think... It's kind of cheap. So personally, I'm I'm not really interested. 
Yeah. In seeing footage that was never meant to be seen, it's rehearsal footage, you know. So obviously, it's not meant to be seen for the, by the public. Um, I don't know about you, Paul. Are you a huge Michael Jackson fan? Or are mm, you gonna I, I can't say I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. I mean, I liked him during the Thriller years, you know, and I thought that the things he did in terms of narrative and and music videos were very revolutionary. Um, but this is not something that I would be wanting to go out and and pay to see i don't even know if it would be if it was on video that i'd be that interested in going out and buying a dvd of it i mean if this was something that was on like maybe you know uh, one of the one of the documentary channels discovery or national geographic or something that i'd probably sit down and watch it and maybe be a little bit interested in it but i don't know if it would work for me on the big screen and i don't know if it'd be something that i'd want to shell out you know uh, 20 bucks to see because as you said, it's just basically going to be rehearsal footage and probably some interviews and things like that. So, the thing is, I'm all for you know supporting Michael Jackson's music, but if I want to shell my money and support Michael Jackson's music, I'll just go buy a CD, which is meant to be heard by the public instead of watching this film, which where the money will go to the the promoters, not you know, his family. Last little bit of news is a little bit of a interesting um, article that I came across from Reuters uh, talking about Brad Pitt. Now, there's this movie coming, Sherlock Holmes, which is starring, I think, uh, uh, Robert Downey Iron Jr. Man, and, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Jr. and Jude Law. And uh, apparently, within the film, there are some images, some photographs of some sort which are supposed to represent the character of Sherlock Holmes's nemesis, uh, Professor Moriarty. And these pictures are of Brad Pitt. And so there's speculation now that there's already a sequel in the works long before the movie itself has even played, and that Brad Pitt is to be cast in this role as the sequel. Um, and I think that's an interesting bit of speculation, but what if I'm just wondering what if this movie uh, totally bombs? I mean, I know Robert Downer... Robert Downey Jr. is a very hot property right now, and, you know, Brad Pitt, who, who knows, you know, if he'll ever be a non-hot property. But what, do, what, what is your thought on this? I mean, is, is this, do you think this is a, a safe move for people to be saying that already there's possibly a sequel in the works when the, the main film hasn't even gotten screened? Yeah, the thing is the two trailers haven't gotten a lot of um, positive uh, reaction from the audience is they think because it's done by Guy Ritchie, the director of um, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, and he sort of brings that kind of MTV style to a period film, and people just really aren't digging it yet. So whether this will be a hit is kind of, you know, no one can tell so far. But for him to start to start already planning a sequel, especially with Brad Pitt, a star as big as Brad Pitt, which means that the budget will go up, you know, at least a good fifty percent. Um, I think they're just sort of looking for trouble, I think. Yeah. Have you seen the trailer for this yet, Paul? Yeah, I've seen it, and to be honest, it 
you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't do all that for me. I mean, I like, you know, old sort of Basil Rathbone, classic Sherlock Holmes, uh, stories, but I don't know the, the sort of the retelling that they're doing here and the MTV style. I don't know if that's really going to, going to work, uh, well for me. I mean, it may work well for a lot of other people, but we'll just have to wait and see. All right, let's move on to our East Screen picks for the week. Man, this week we have two films to talk about. The first film is our local film called Accident. Um, Kevin, do you want to talk a little bit about the synopsis for this film? Yeah, sure. Um, Accident is the latest film by Soi Chan, who last did Shamo, I believe, and also Dog by Dog before that. This is his first film uh, with Milky Way Films, which is uh, which means it's produced by Johnny Toe. Um, it's been in about a year in the making, I think, and he admitted that you know during the making of it, he sort of changed the movie that he was making because I guess that's a typical Milky Way tradition. Anyway, the film stars Louis Ku as the uh, brain of an operation with uh, four other people, three other people, um, that essentially creates these accidents um, to murder people for money. Um, and uh, after one operation goes wrong, um, Lewis begins to doubt whether um, these sort of accidents that starting to happen to them are really accidents. So um, Richie, Jen, Richie Ren uh, shows up halfway through the film as a mysterious um, insurance agent that may or may not be behind these uh, accidents. So, um, Paul, what did you think of the film? I, I quite liked it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, th that's not to say the film wasn't without problems. Um, as you were saying, th th this team is basically a team of assassins, but they're assassins through manipulations of lots of other events. So if you were to think of things like, you know, uh, the old game mousetrap or, uh, you know, just a, just a domino effect where, you know, you're pushing dominoes along and the dominoes hit a ball and the ball hits something else. It's that they set up these kind of elaborate traps um, that are so elaborate that it's impossible for anyone to, s to see anything beyond an accident that's happened. But some of the traps that they put in um, are a bit too elaborate they're they're a bit too you know they require such a precise you know number of things to happen in such a certain sequence that you would think that it it, it that the chances of that actually happening are very very slim uh and right. the film starts off with a sequence like this and then when they get into sort of the middle of the film what you see is you see the team actually having to 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 reset up day after day after day until the conditions are exactly right. And that's really the best part of the film. But with the other accidents that they show um, in the beginning and the end, you get the sense that those are so elaborate that they couldn't keep doing those on a daily basis. And, and it, it would just take one thing to go wrong, and the whole thing's kind of spoiled. And, and especially, though, I don't want to give too much away, but especially the first one, you know. You, I, I couldn't see the first one being repeated day after day after day the same way that 
um, the, the the main accident that they try and set up in the middle is repeated, you know. Um, with, uh, with but the first accident doesn't really rely on something that that you know doesn't happen every day. Well, yeah, but uh, there is a there is a the the, the very final part of it. Uh, you know, the the victim has to basically get out of his car, and he has to um, he has to pull on this this banner. Yeah. Okay. And and it relies on him pulling on the banner. If he just pushes the banner out of the way, then it doesn't happen. You know, so it's like it, it it's just moments like that that kind of push the believability uh, a little bit beyond the scope of of what the film's trying to achieve. And for the most part, outside of this that event and an event at the end, the film is very very smart, and it's got a it's got a rather slow pace, but it's very smart in the storytelling. It really knows how to use use Louis Koo very well because he's got really little dialogue, but he really emotes very well in this film, I think. And you really get a sense of his paranoia. And there, there's there's one part of this film, um, if and I think it was, we were talking about it before, that really reminded me a little bit of the European film The Lives of Others. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got some really nice nice moments and some nice elements. And if you can get past sort of the, the moments where you go, oh, that, okay, that's a bit unbelievable at the beginning and the end, it, it really is a sort of a, a nicely woven film in terms of especially what happens with the central character who in Chinese he's called something else, but in, in the English translation, as you said, he's called Brain, basically, as his name. Um, and, and what happens to him is and and what he thinks has happened to him in the past turns out to be very interesting and very circular in the storytelling. So I really really liked it. Yeah, except for certain elements in the ending, I actually quite like the ending. I mean, I think the script script wise, if you want to compare it to another film, uh, let's say Overheard, which is another major kind of Louis Cool film this year, I think um, script wise, yes, it is thinner than something like Overheard, but cinematically. Um, Soi Chan knows how to, you know, compose a shot. He knows how to light. His cinematographer knows how to light things, and um, he knows how to get the right emotional effect out of the ending, yeah. even though it's been so cold for the rest of the film. But the ending, I thought, really delivered, except for you know one or two nitpicking things about the actual final accident. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really strong film. Yeah, I, I would I would say this is definitely one of my one of my. Uh, definitely in my top ten of favorite films for the year so far, so far possibly in the top five. Um, yeah, it's and, and, and again, too. it's it's yeah. not it's not without problems, but this is really uh, a very strongly held together film with the various elements and and the supporting cast is great. I mean, you've got Lam Shut, you've got uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Feng Shuifan. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen him in ages. And, he was last and, in Vengeance, but this one he was much better here. Yeah, yeah. and and um, he's got a really great role, and uh, Richie Ren, who from the trailer you think has like this really sort of major role um, throughout the film, like you said, he really doesn't show up until about the about midway through it. But um, his performance is very very integral, and the way that. And you know the way that the director kind of uses him and plays him off of Louis Koo, it really does sort of keep you guessing, um, mm-hmm. which is what this film is about. And the only bit that he acts, you know, he's quite good too. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's move on from one accident to another, 
and that is a natural accident called Hyundai. Did I say that right? Hyundai, yeah. It kind of sounds like the old, didn't they make an old car called a Hyundai or, or, or something <laughs> like that? Um, so I haven't seen this film. I wanted to get out and to see it, and I just, I, the, the time escaped me. But Kevin, you've seen it, so why don't you give us the breakdown and give us your thoughts and tell us about all the gooey goodness that is the special effects, which are what are really being touted about this film. Um, I think uh, accident would be the wrong word for Hyundai. I think um, the pun here is is a disaster. Um, Hyundai is the big Korean. Um, it's their first big uh, disaster film. So uh, Hyundai is named after a coastal town in southern South Korea near Busan. Uh, it's known for their beaches and their coastal attractions and things like that. So um, the disaster here. Um, is a huge tidal wave that a tsunami that is the result of apparently a serious a chain of earthquake that comes from of course japan um so but before the disaster happens there's about an hour and five minutes of setup um of fillers that introduces its really large ensemble cast which includes uh sung kun gu well who's, he was the main actor in oasis here he's obviously slumming in this big commercial film um, also, you have Haji Won, who's uh, appeared in director's uh, past films like My Boss, My Hero, and uh, Sex at Zero, both very successful comedies, which makes you wonder what's he doing here. Um, uh, of course, so you have characters like uh, a man with a tortured past, um, the scientist who predicts all the big disaster, but is apparently ignored by a superior. Um, there's the kindly old woman. Um, there's the town idiot, you know, all these cliche characters. Um, and, you know, I think the first half is fine, even though it, it is, you know, it's filler. You're just waiting for the baby to show up because the director, he's so, he's done these type of movies before. He's done slapstick comedy that makes his melodrama before that. He knows what, what he's doing in his first half. The problem is when the second half comes is that you're filled with so much overwrought melodrama. And, and cliches and, you know, at, at least three different points of the film, there's a character who spends five minutes trying to say the one last thing they have to say before they die that they could have just spent those five minutes trying to get themselves saved. You know, it's the melodrama here is unbelievable. And the special effects, which has been touted here as state of the art, the biggest in Korean history, things like that, it's really inconsistent. Like one shot, you would see um a big tanker getting swallowed really quickly but in the next shot you see his little boat still floating even though the big big wave and you know i understand why the effects might be hard to do because um water effects are really the hardest to perfect but it's there's just some i it's you know i think some of the bad special effects started on the conceptual stage mm. um there are just some ideas that are so illogical and so stupid that you know, at times it's fun, but at times you just sort of, you know, just groan and wonder, like, why, how could anyone be so stupid to think that this would work? Mm. Um, I don't know, Paul, are you interested in watching this at all? Well, I, I, I am somewhat interested to see it. Uh, I've, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, the, the, the classic disaster films. Um, but, you know, with a tidal wave, it's kind of like, okay, the wave's coming. Do you get swept away and drowned or, or not? It's it's not like, I, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like there's, it, it seems like you were saying that there's got to be a lot of built-up exposition. And from the trailer, from what I saw, 
it looks like a comedy in in many places for that first hour until you know things turn a, a bit tragic and everybody's kind of running and you know and i'm not i was not really sure what to what to make of the film um, but i'll probably see it at some point yeah there's definitely no false advertisement here they're the first hour and five minutes apparently in the korean cut is about hour and 15 minutes this version is uh, shorter but this international cut is shorter by 10 minutes uh yeah it's definitely romantic comedy um slapstick comedy uh you know there are things like people getting elbowed in the face by accident you know things like that um and like i said actually my problem is not with the first hour of the film um it's fine it's entertaining you know get you involved but my problem is that they, the director is so concentrated on delivering this huge climax, you know, with lots of money shots and lots of small people and, you know, right in front of big water yeah. that by the end, it just sort of rushes through it. You know, you, the director never stops to think, Hey, uh, this many people is like this huge tragedy, probably you know, thousands of people got killed, but no, I'm just going to rush it to the end where you have the romantic comedy, you know, running off in the sunset. Let's move on to West's screen. Uh, we've got one film that we'll briefly talk about this week, and that is the film called The Proposal, uh, which I saw about a week and a half ago. This comes from director Ann Fletcher and stars Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. And basically it tells the story of a very sort of high-powered um, uh, book publisher and editor named Margaret, and Ryan Reynolds plays her assistant named Andrew. And Margaret is a bit of a, you know, a sort of a uh, A-type personality. She's very domineering. Um, nobody in the office really likes her, but she's she's very no nonsense, and she gets she she's very good at her job, basically. Um, but they're, they're, they've got a problem in that she's not a U.S. citizen. She's a Canadian citizen, and she ends up doing something that jeopardizes her visa. So she's going to be deported. From the country and lose her job basically to uh, a rival in her company so rather than do this she comes up with the the, the, the quick brain scheme that she's going to marry her assistant uh, to his horror uh, and poor ryan reynolds uh, has to go along with it or he risks uh, being fired and also losing a chance at publishing his own work because he's an aspiring writer so the plot basically takes the two of them and uh, sends them to his hometown uh, where she, you know, it's, it's the typical story where you've got one person pretending to be the would-be spouse or the spouse of, of another. So they're pretending to be engaged and she has to meet the family. And the whole time she's got immigra an immigration officer kind of snooping around, following her around to make sure that, you know, this is legit. And he really, think he really thinks it's just going to be a paper marriage to keep her in the country. Um, and then over time, obviously, you know, they know each, get to know each other better and she gets to know the family and um, it becomes a very typical but fun, I'd say it's quite fun, uh, romantic comedy. Sandra Bullock is great. Um, she looks great. And the interesting thing here is that, you know, Ryan Reynolds is sort of the, you know, the hot young guy who's being tapped on for a lot of roles. I mean, he was, he had the small role in uh, Wolverine earlier in the year, and and they're they were talking about giving him his own spinoff from that film, and he's sort of he's sort of the go-to guy for these young sort of twenty-something, thirty-somethingish uh, roles, 
And here he is playing uh, a, sort of a much younger romantic interest, and Sandra Bullock is sort of the older woman. And I really didn't think that they were going to have things pan out the way they did, and it was somewhat of a surprise, I guess, that, you know, that they were so daring and kind of showing this. It's not really, you know, a, a, a romance that you might see between a much older man and a much younger woman, but to have it sort of reversed like that is not something you see quite often in romantic films these days. So uh, I was quite surprised, and, and that made me like the film that much more, so. Yeah, my my brother who, you know, you know, men, they don't really admit liking romantic comedies. Like we were saying before we record this, that we might lose our street cred talk about this film. Uh, even he liked this movie quite a bit. Yeah, and there's, so, there's, uh, one, there's one just laugh out loud, almost bust a gut scene where uh, Sandra Bullock, I mean, she really becomes quite daring. And, and it's almost, I, I want to say, you know, it's almost a full nude scene, but it's not. Uh, she's got, you know, got her parts covered with her hands basically and she's basically you know sneaking around this room and it ends up that ryan reynolds character is doing the same thing and they end up sort of falling on top of each other buck naked um so yeah she she was really taking a, a bit of a chance because you don't really again for a woman her age you know this is not you you would consider something like this sort of in a teenager movie you know an american pie kind of thing mm -hmm. a scene like this um, but she was really, you know, being daring and taking a chance. And, I, and the scene worked out really well. It was really funny. Um, and it's got a really good supporting cast. Mary Steenburchen, uh, Craig T. Nelson from Coach is in it. And Betty White, who's just, you know, she's always very great in anything that she does. She was a riot in this film as um, Andrew's grandmother. So if you get a chance, I would definitely say it's a very good date film. Um, and it's got some really good laughs. So uh, if if you like romantic comedies, this is definitely something worth seeing. All right, it's time to move on to our Flying Buddha Picks of the Week. Kevin, what do you have for us this week? Uh, this week I have the American remake of the British miniseries, State of Play. I've never seen a British original, so I can't say anything about that. But uh, this one is directed by Kevin McDonald, who did uh, The Last King of Scotland and has a documentary background. It stars Russell Crowe as a journalist for a fictional Washington newspaper, I think. Um, and um, he's investigating uh, what apparently looks like a drug murder in the streets. Meanwhile, um, a congressional aide uh, named Sonia Baker has been murdered, or actually, no, dies in an accident apparently on the subway. And um, she works for a congressman, played by Ben Affleck, who is also uh, Russell Crowe's friend. So now Russell Crowe um, try, is trying to connect two stories uh, with another reporter. And um, me, of course, then they have to wonder whether to betray his friend for the story or to betray his profession for his friend. Um, this is a film that I recommend not because um, of the actual story itself. And the story itself is fine. The mystery is done well um the cast is very good of course you have russell crowe ben affleck you have rachel mcadams you have Her helen mirren who's uh, quite a standout as the editor but uh one reason why i'm recommending this film is because it deals with a very relevant topic and that is the state of newspapers today um throughout the film they talk about the sort of slow death of print journalism and how everything is uh going to 
the online because uh, Rachel Mayam's character, she writes for the blog for the newspaper. So um, that's a really uh, timely topic because uh, not even uh, not just American newspapers, but newspapers all over the world are currently in trouble because of online content, um, um, just lack of sales, lack of uh, advertising, things like that. So it's really interesting for them to deal with that. Um, it's too bad that not enough people saw it to really uh, bring the problem to to any real discussion, but um, I think just for that, that makes state the American version of state of play uh, quite an interesting film. Well, my pick this week is tying back to the article we started talking about from the South China Morning Post by Clarence Zui. Uh, I'm going to recommend if you are the one the film from Fang Xiaogang. Uh, this is a film that basically tells a story of a middle-aged Chinese man named Chin who decides he's tired of being a bachelor and he wants to get married and his pursuit to try and find a suitable partner. And he goes through uh, various types of modern-day hookups in terms of things like uh, speed dating and, and meeting people online. Um, and ultimately, he meets a young woman who's deciding whether she should break up with her boyfriend slash lover. Um, and her name is um, Xiao Xiao. And he forms sort of a friendship relationship as he really likes this girl, but she's much younger than him. And the two of them sort of pal around together. And he ultimately follows her and tries to help her work through her breakup and relationship with her boyfriend, who is played by Hong Kong's own uh, Alex Fong. It also features a cameo by Vivian Su. So it's got a really interesting cast. It's very well acted. Uh, the, the main character by uh, Go Yo. And he's, he's just a riot in this film. And this is, you know, again, a mainland Chinese film that doesn't really have any type of political message behind it. It's just a very straightforward, simple, sort of middle-class uh, romantic comedy that's very well made. And, you know, it was very reminiscent of uh, romantic comedies coming out of Hong Kong um, in the 90s. Um, so if you get a chance to see it, um, do do try and pick it up because uh, it's my recommendation. I think it's a really good film. All right, that's going to about do it for our show this week. Um, we'll be coming back next week and we'll have quite a few things to talk about, uh, especially for West scene uh, or for West screen, excuse me. We've got uh, a couple of new science fiction films on the horizon. Bruce Willis's new film, Surrogates, which I'm a bit excited about. And finally, at long last, we'll be getting uh, District 9 on National Day, October 1st. So I think we must be one of the last regions to be screening that film because I know all my friends in the States have already seen it and have been talking about it for months now. And I'm sort of the, like the last one. But I'm really excited to see it, so I'll be seeing that and... Of and course. I'll be risking my uh, masculinity and maybe watch the time traveler's wife. Yeah, that that's that's true. I've got a, that's coming out too. I'm I'm excited to see that too. Um, so there's going to be quite a bit that we'll have be able to talk about for our next show, and of course we'll be uh, having right after that National Day, and we'll be able to talk about the big National Day film and how that's doing. Um, so until then, uh, Kevin, how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to follow along with what you're doing? As always, you can follow me at Twitter, uh, The Golden Rock, one word. You can also read my blog, The Golden Rock, at uh, lovehkfilm.com. Um, 
And you can email me at thegoldenrock, that's one word, at gmail.com. All right. And if you'd like to follow along with what's happening in terms of the show, and you can always uh, tune in to the site, uh, www.kongcast, that's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com, and look for news and things, uh, and we'll be posting up uh, anything relevant but in between shows. And a little bit of a, some good news. We got approved by iTunes, so hopefully once this show is done and I've edited it, I'll get back to updating the RSS feed, so you'll be able to go right to iTunes and subscribe to the show through there. And until next time, we will wish you good viewing, and we will see you then. See you next time.